Welcome to Best Boys, a film podcast, an amateur film study podcast for the average Joe, the buffest buffs, and the cringiest bingers. I'm your host, JP, and I'm joined by my brother, professional Hollywood videographer. With a story. Welcome to the only podcast where you can interpret the ending of a movie in 112 different ways and still come up with the same answer. The meaning of life. Exactly. 12. The answer is 12 to that question. 12? That was 42. Yeah, I think it's 42, you're right. Hitchhiker's Um, Guide. I was going to say, Hitchhiker's Guide. I knew there was a number in that movie. Um, yeah, it's like uh, I've only seen that once, but that's like the only thing anyone I feel like remembers. I've seen it that. a few times, but it was like a bunch of it. Many of the watches of it were like bits and pieces. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a great, great movie. John great breakout film. Um, but all right, so we got some sci-fi going on today. We also got some some uh, period pieces or a period yeah. piece, I guess. Um, but we are back to the best points and we are doing a stanley kubrick today um the tooch himself the the cubes i like to call them cubes uh there's, there's stanley tucci and stanley kuby cubes and tooch um so what is your personal experience cory cory uh per- the story with uh well the story is with that, the cubes uh, Stanley Kubrick's one of the things that, like, I one of the directors that obviously everybody has heard of, like, in some form of another, and usually it's because of Clockwork Orange, uh, two thousand one, um, and what's the other one? Uh, uh, the other big one I'm missing that's around the same. Uh, as Full Metal Jacket. Uh, that one. Clockwork Orange. I said that one. Uh, There's another one. Eyes anyways, Wide Shut. No, not that one. There's another. Oh, it's just The Shining. The Shining. The that's Shining. The, the Shining. That, that's yeah, like yeah. the probably. That's one of the the more. He's like, got so many. The, he's got so many of those though. Like. Yeah. Like it's uh, everyone's seen so many of his films. Um, Strange just, Strange Love also is pretty big. Uh, yeah, big, yeah. Um, I, I remember well. Dad. Uh, well, I watched part of that with Dad growing up. Uh, I just remember bits. And, I just remember the opening with like the bomb drop stuff, but. Uh, <clears throat> the but yeah it's it's just something that's just like it's always been there growing up the only one i ever really remembered watching like from beginning to end was the shining uh but i had seen bits and pieces of 2001 but after watching 2001 i guess i've seen a lot less of it than i remembered um and uh yeah it's 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 one of those things where it's like the like i i always wanted to get back into but never really did but the one thing I always took away from what I did know from Kubrick was the symmetrical, slow zoom in stuff. And like one of my uh, uh, one of my music videos I directed for Designer was the whole concept was just inspired by the as uh, the, the people at Complex wrote it as a, a Kubrickian uh, slow zooms throughout the whole music video. Um, and it's just like I, I really enjoy his shooting style and how he how he loves uh how he frames the scenes and everything like that. And it's watching these just, just put so much more of like, man, this has inspired so many things that have inspired me. Uh, and it all just kind of comes back, you know, being able to see this early stuff, especially Barry Lyndon. Cause I've never seen anything. I had no idea what it was until, until this, we watched it. So, um, I, uh, growing up, I had seen full metal jacket. I'm pretty sure I've seen, uh, eyes wide shut. 
uh, growing up. I'd seen Spartacus. Um, and um, But then when I was in college, I saw Clockwork Orange. Uh, and then later, I think like five years ago, I saw The Shining. Um, and then really? I, a few years ago, probably like four really? years ago, I saw Barry Lyndon. And, um, and Barry Lyndon is honestly maybe, well, we'll get to Barry Lyndon because we're going to talk about it today, but, uh, I, I am well versed in the cubes. I would say I've seen a lot of cubes when I was young. I've seen it when I was old. Um, and, uh, I didn't see 2001 until literally a couple of years ago for the first time. So this is the second time I've seen 2001 for this podcast. So it's good. To have like, I honestly am glad. I think the second watch is really perfect because you know the story beats and you know what to expect. So you, I can really like focus on details and, and more of like, um, you know, like the more of the nuts and bolts of filmmaking and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was really good. It was really good. Barry Lyndon, I've also seen only once. Um, Clockwork Orange, I've seen a fuck ton of times. Doctor Strangelove, oh, I've seen like five times, ten times maybe. Doctor Strangelove is also would be the fighting for my favorite. The Shining, I'm just gonna say this in case. I mean, we'll, we might do it someday, but I it's not my favorite of his. It's I think it's a little it's good. Um, it's a good horror movie, but it's a little overrated in my opinion. I um, think I think why that one is so regarded is just for the cinema. It's just like most of his other stuff. The cinematography is really good, and the performances uh, uh, of, yeah, of yeah. the of the leads are really good. Um, but yeah, I've wanted to see. I really want to see Paths of Glory, um, and then uh, I want to see his early couple films, obviously. Um, and then Lolita is supposed to be good, which I've never seen. But that's it. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to think of how like it how future like how shooting wise ahead of its time the stuff like 2001 being 1968 is i'd be very curious to see like spartacus or pass the glory with them being in the, like the late 50s and like early 60s what th- that would be like because he seems to be like a decade or two ahead of of what, everything else that's shooting uh, for the uh yeah he's incredibly it seems to be incredibly influential and uh we're going to talk about specific directors i have a feeling as things come up um, but, uh, you just wonder if certain things would have been made if it wasn't for, um, Kubrick doing it first. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you see, I see his influences just off the top of my head, uh, um, on George Lucas, uh, on Steven Spielberg, on David Lynch. Um, and, uh, and, and those are why, you know, completely different filmmakers maybe not lucas and steven spielberg but um just like big movies but also challenging films um as well um and uh i think that that's the sweet spot that kubrick uh kind of resides in is um that it can make a big movie that is entertaining to a regular audience but also be challenging artistically um and i think that is like my favorite uh, thing for a film and just art in general is just riding that like being accessible but also being challenging to that wide audience oh to go with that the the little bit of reading i did uh for the for this uh he has no fear to just to just change to something else he doesn't he'll do whatever is like he's into at that time which i love rather than being like stuck with one like oh if you you're getting a kubrick movie you know exactly what you're getting like he can vary into a little bit more comedy, a little like the sci-fi super heady stuff, but also like, uh, you know, going into war period pieces and 
stuff like that. It just I like just how uh, the range of what he does in his in his That's catalog true. is very. Uh, that alone is super inspirational because I feel like a lot of people get stuck in like these are the movies that I make or whatever. But when you're challenging yourself to do a completely different genre to see if you can do it, and then you're doing it and still killing it and or creating like the standard for certain how you do certain films is uh is just beyond impeccable. Yeah, um, and, and like this the to be able to be to have these like culturally important films, it, you know, groundbreaking films. Um, but also like they're big movies, they're Hollywood, big movies, um, that do well, maybe not, uh, maybe not Barry Lyndon, uh, but, um, you know, the rest of these, uh, that we're talking about full metal jacket, the shining, uh, 2001, uh, um, are like, you know, very, are films that everybody will talk about. Um, and everybody has seen. It's like the Indiana Jones or Star Wars. But the difference between Indiana Jones and Star Wars is that this is like, I think, are creatively, emotionally uh, challenging, and and that's I think important to have in the mainstream sphere. And, you know, it's cool that not everything needs to be like that. But I think it's cool to have, you know, that um, that kind of stuff, and it be popular at the same time and accessible. But all right. I think that sums it up, uh, cubes up for me and how I feel about them and his stuff and my experience with them. So let's get down to some specifics. And first, we're going to talk about uh, 1968's 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, since that is first in the order of these two. Um, so what? where do we begin with 2001? Honestly. The scale and the scope of a movie of this, you know, of this time period, I've not seen, you know, I've not seen anything. The special effects uh, are pretty much, um, you, like, I we, I think we always refer to Star Wars as, like, the watermark of yeah, amazing effects. And uh, it's truly, like, this, um, I hate, I always use the walk so something can run, but that's what's happening here, is, like, there's so many design cues uh, that are used in Star Wars that come from this. Um, and there's some, and then you can see though that there is like the bridge. Like there are also some things that remind me of older sci-fi uh, as well. Um, but you can see that it is a marked dis- uh, change to like realism, and it's it wants to feel uh, like the, the, a real future, and uh, versus some fantasy uh, like some Buck Rogers Atomic Age uh, kind of fantasy uh, or Flash Gordon or something like that. Um, and that's what's so, so, um, compelling about it. And it is done so well. And even to this day, like, like you can tell that some of the, the styles is, you know, kind of very sixties. Um, but it, it, most of it, like the ship designs and the pods and, um, just the hallways that they're walking in the, the picture I have up on the screen now, like that looks like it could be still like today. Um, I'm while you're talking, I'm playing the trailer to just like, go like to watch the things as you're talking about them and just the the lighting even on just the the models and the the space models that are just floating in space or like the big ferris wheel at the first uh, as like the international space station thing at first yeah it just looks so real like it is real because practical effects but it's just it has this look that cgi still can't touch and it just looks like oh some of these shots i think look better even than than the first star wars like uh in in how well they're blended together because they're 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 more just like establishing shots and when doing that 
like having something more simple with the camera work and all that, uh, you could focus way more on, on just like the, the, the perfection of it rather than like Star Wars has so much motion and movement and action. Um, and it's just the models just look so real. Everything about this movie, I just can't get over. It's 1968. Um, it's so good. And all of it is practical. Like there's, there's even like the, uh, uh, the big, uh, when he, big thing at the end when they're uh, getting, the, Dave's getting sucked in through the thing. It's all in camera. That's all in camera practical effects. None of that is CGI of any kind. Um, and that's just what blows me away. The cinematography is just so ahead of its time. Like, this is, looks better than Alien. This is looks better than Star Wars. This looks better than, like, everything for the next up, like, 10 to 15 years in terms of just, like, visual cinematic quality. Uh, I, I just, like, I, 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 I think he was... This, I think why this stands as time is so much is just, like, nothing about this movie feels dated in any way. Um it all feels like you could make this movie looking with this exact same aesthetic today and it still would hit similar. Uh, yeah, I think uh, practical effects um, really, really go a long way. Um, miniatures uh, are really, uh, when used properly, really, uh, I keep saying really, they, um, it really brings a lot uh, more realism to the table. Um, than yeah. the CG uh, ships and things like that. I mean, now we're getting in a, a, a better place with CG, but um, there's some something about seeing the the miniatures how it holds up because um, you can get the lighting you, you know exactly the way you want it. It's real lighting, um, and you can sh- you know shoot however one uh, whatever way you want around it. Um, it's just like once you have really well designed models, um, the I think that it adds so much to the to the immersion and feel um, of it, and then along with the uh, the sets and the the costumes and and everything, um, there's just a level of immersion and attention to detail and just thinking forward thinking about you know the future and and whatnot. Um, I was just looking at the budgets of. I think this was ten million to do two thousand one. Star Wars, the the first one was eleven million, and two thousand one was ten and a half. Yeah, so it's only five hundred thousand dollars difference in budget. The Star however, Wars with, was nine years yeah. later. So with inflation, Kubrick would have had a little bit more of a bigger budget, but uh, but even to today's inflation, I looked it up. Uh, that 10.5 million to make this movie would have been uh, equivalent to about 80 million today, uh, which is still like for what it is, 80 million is not a lot of money to make something this good, like this high end. I mean, if you could do it now, for sure, you could make this for 80 million. But I don't know if it would. I mean, be it just, it takes a lot. I don't know why, but I, I think that people shy away from it because it takes so much more work to physically create all this stuff. Um, yeah. And uh, the set—I mean, set design is going to be set design and costumes. Like that's going to be what yeah. it is. But uh, and then I think the big difference with Star Wars is when, like when you are in the the cantina or something, and there's just like a million people in costumes, different kinds of costumes. Like that's when I feel like the money starts starts adding up, along with all the like half of Star Wars is like miniature space stuff. Um, but what the ships. what this has 
what this has that Star Wars doesn't with the ships is all of the ship interiors have all of these like actual practical working screens that are all displaying things because it's not there's no CGI overlaying versus Star Wars is more just like glowing buttons and switches with occasional holograms, which I feel like is cheaper to do. They have screens, but building. they don't have quite as they're not. As, uh, they're like not, they're not playing monitors. like motion. Yeah, that's what um, I mean. Like these are playing like actual video feeds that are switching and changing depending on what the buttons the dudes press like Dave <clears> is pressing and or like any of the crew people are uh, and all that stuff like that back then, especially like you're putting in a CRT, like a tube TV in like into every single one of those. And like that is so expensive. Uh, it's, but it's so attention to detail. Like you're saying, it's, it's incredible. Um, and you have so many practical lights from that, that to play off of, uh, uh, to keep the realism and everything. And, Ah oh, man, I just it's I get it. I get it so much. I can't believe that I haven't seen this in its entirety until now, but it I get I get the uh the drooling over it. It's so uh for the time it's so insane. Uh yeah. Um it's so ahead of its time. And I do think about the graphic design and stuff um that is on the monitors and things. Um, the, it all like, like really looks or still looks cool and still looks like, uh, um, it's holds up and, and artistically today, um, that, that would, I think that a lot of that looks good. The, the fonts and the, the way that the presentations are, um, on the screen, like it, it's none of it looks dated or out, um, out of fashion. Um, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's just really amazing. And then I think now that we, we can probably um, talk about how the movie is structured, which I think is another big uh, difference. And uh, uh, it's kind of like a movie within a movie, or is it like three movies? Um, it's kind of like the short well, prologue, and then we have yeah. like a second kind of prologue about um, that's kind of how this mission came to be. I mean, truly, if you think about it, the story, is three acts about the this monolith thing, I guess. Um, um, but it almost uh, felt episodic, like a TV show, uh, in in how it breaks it up. Because there, at first, there's little correlation from one to the other. Like the 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 transition with the eight bone to the the uh, uh, the spaceship. Like you take the monolith away from that opening, and that still works. Uh, that transition of just the dawn of man and like where we started to where we are now. Um, but the but where you go from there, you know, you don't really until they get to explaining like the or they find the monolith in the, in the second part uh it feels like a completely different thing um like they're not it's not really tied to the first part until that point and then the same with the third it, it keeps waiting until the very end of each section to bring this monolith in and in, in each time it only gives you just like a slight little bit of information even about what the monolith is or what what its purpose is um so uh the, yeah the mis- there's a lot of mystery around the monolith mm-hmm. Um, you're not really, you know, get any definitive answers of what it means. You know, is it God? Is it, um, it's everything. It's nothing. Um, it, it's the it's meaning aliens. of life. Is it aliens? Um, there's, you don't really get a definitive answer. And, um, uh, the mystery of what is the monolith kind of pulls you through and you never truly get satisfied in it. You just kind of get this like experience at the end and you kind of are meant to interpret it how you will. Mm. Um, so the beginning of the film opens, uh, we are in the 
you know, prehistory, we're the dawn of near the dawn of time, and there are early um, humans, you know, ape people, um, you know, evolved past regular apes, but uh, but not yeah, quite yeah, human yeah. yet. Um, and they are. Do you see like two tribes or two groups? Uh, and they are trying. They're fighting over like a water hole, and um, the one tribe kicks the one tribe's the other tribe's ass. And the one tribe that gets its ass kicked um, finds this monolith. And it's hanging out around this monolith. And the monolith, somehow we are meant, the, we are meant to infer that the uh, eight people learned how to use tools from hanging around this monolith. And then they use those tools to beat the shit out of the tribe that beat them up previously. Yeah, it's some real uh, Jets versus Shark shit. Yeah, it's true. It's true. They sing, they sing and dance and everything. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's how it opens. And then we, then it cuts to the second section of the film. And oh, I wanted to talk about the music, the use of uh, uh, cla- the classical um, selections, which are s- songs that you hear in like a million billion things. But I feel like. It's because of this movie that you do hear them. Hundred um, percent. Uh, like Canon and D, I think is one of them. I think I think is one of them. Um, I feel like this is the, definitely the first movie to do that. Like you know, in various parts of the movie where they have that, like it's like a chorus of vocals, just all slowly, like just like all high pitched, just like oh, like all slowly fading. Oh up. Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, like yeah. The modern, the modern like it's horror new movie, movies like, still do use, that. Use it all the time. Yeah, new uh, movies. Like it was so cool. Uh, seeing it at the time, or seeing it in this movie, because I'm just like, man, this is like, this is what modern people do to ramp up tension. And it's like, this is just doing it first. Um, it's it's super. Uh, just with like everything else, it's ahead of its time. It, but it just, I don't know. He's, he's this guy, the t- uh, the Cubes. It's just he just knows what he's doing so well. So, uh, but I was sorry, good. I mean, I was just gonna move on to the next part of the movie. If you had anything else you wanted to say about the the prehistory or the music, oh, I was gonna bring up that the yeah that opening is like thirty minutes of the Donna Man stuff, which is I I'm not gonna lie, I was shocked how long it was because I just remember the the bone throwing in the air scene uh, from yeah you could have fact. easily told you can easily tell that in like five in five minutes yeah and they let it run long ass takes for like 30 minutes and it's beautifully shot it's a, it's honestly i can't tell if it's on location or on a stage with matt I, I was like thinking that, that too is that a mad paint i kept trying to figure out if that was a painting yeah. in the set or if that was a um if that was a uh on location thought the same thing uh, you, yeah you could tell me either way and i'd believe it um just the lighting is kind of interesting um how it's done i was leaning to the set because of how the lighting was at times like it, you could like there was like an orange glow, like a yeah. sunset kind of glow, but it was exaggerated. Um, but I, but I, like that could have just been daylight. they could have just been yeah brought lights out on the location, so I don't know. Um, but so that half hour on that, and then the second section, which is also you know pretty long, um, it's about an hour, is a lot of it is dedicated to one. It's to setting up the third part of the movie, which and it kind of connects. The monolith through is the through line through each of these stories. 
Mm. Um, and it's about the you know Doctor Floyd, who he apparently works for. Um, it says on the wiki that he's the chairman of the United States National Council of Astronautics, and um, he's traveling to the moon to a base. Uh, that is run. It seems to be run by Americans, but there's also a, Ru- a Russian base there as well. And um, but so much of this time is dedicated to showing us the technology. Yes, the, the future technology and like how we, you know they're on planes, they're space planes, and we have you know food in boxes and how everyone there's zero gravity, all this tr- these uh zero gravity gags. I would say, I don't know how else you want to call them, like little gags with, oh, look, yeah, uh, shit's floating. Oh, I'm walking on the ceiling. Yeah, um, this whole, the whole second part of this movie just feels like it, the production team just pooping on everyone else's movies around them. Like, you wish you could do this. You, 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 you can't do this? Oh, well, we did it. Yeah, and, special uh, effects are pretty, yeah. practical special effects are pretty crazy. Um, and it's flexing. And even today, like some of that stuff, I'm sure is really difficult. Um, uh, in the next section, there's one in particular that I'm like, how do they do that? Yeah. Yes. I have the same thing. Part three or part three, but like the last, uh, part of this movie, I, I couldn't tell if I knew how it worked and that, which is upsetting <clears throat> to me because I obsess over that stuff. Yeah. So here's another thing. And I, here's a factoid I did write down about this film. Apparently Kubrick wanted nothing about the production to come out about this film. He wanted it all to be secret. They burned and destroyed almost all the props. Um, they, uh, and all the wow. uh, blueprints, production notes, all destroyed for this film. Because he wanted, because wow. he, he kept saying that um, anytime there was a big sci-fi movie, that all these other TV shows and shittier movies will use the props. And you'll see those props coming up in other sci-fi shit for like the next decade and he didn't want everyone ripping off his movie and watering down the aesthetic which i think is genius uh like because yeah. that does happen if you if you know your movie's gonna be gonna be like game changing to the genre then you know it's gonna be imitated after that and it you know it it's very influential on star wars alien um, a billion other things, uh, but those are the two two big ones that come in the next decade. Um, and it's just, it's very interesting. It's very very interesting. The man had foresight and vision, um, and it's just it's very wild to see how much like power that he had over his works and how they still you know made fuckloads of money. This movie made one hundred forty six million dollars at the box office. Oh my god! On a ten million dollar budget. Yes. That's, wait. So one. So it's about an eight time, almost eight times conversion from then to now. So one hundred and forty times eight. That's got to be like a billion. Got to be almost a billion dollars. Almost a billion dollars. Yeah. Oh my god! One forty times eight. Is, yeah, one point one two billion dollars. That would have made the equivalent of in today's, which is insane. Yeah. Like, and it's such, and like, think about what kind of movie this is. This is not, yeah. you know, a Marvel movie. This isn't yeah, this even is a Star a Wars film. movie. Like, it's, it's more so challenging sl- than that. It's extremely slow. Like, like not in a bad way, but it just is. It's it's very like slow there's, yeah, yeah, it is. It, almost to an unnerving. This movie yeah. is unnerving. This movie makes you anxious about what's about to happen. You know that it's the, mu- the, the music and the way that it's shot, it's telling you that there's something bad 
at work. Ominous, at least. Um, and we find out late, you know, as the movie goes on, there is something bad happening. But, um, you know, the, the monolith is just scary, and we're in awe of it. We f- it makes, the, like, the humans feel small with all their technology. Um, which, you know, it is interesting that it does set up all this, like, oh, look at all of this shit that humanity can do now. And then, you know, we're still kind of uh, in awe of this monolith and what is it doing and 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 uh, what kind of power does it have? It's a very mystical, supernatural thing. Um, and at the end, man reaches monolith and cannot doesn't have the brain capacity to even understand what the hell it is. And instead, you're just taken on a fucking acid trip. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's left to like interpret. Yeah, in the end, when, um, when David, um, when Dave gets sucked into whatever some light thing, yeah, seems to be transported. But we'll get to that. Um, I, I mean, I there, there's so I, I don't know why when I think about this movie, everybody talks about the next section, but I always think about this part with all the the plane and the and the, the airport the spaceport and uh like the video phone calls it's like honestly that is one thing that is maybe dated about the film is like you know how much time spent on video calls and like we have cell phone like he you know he didn't have the foresight that we'd have that in our pockets um instead of these booths um but every, other than the video calls everything else is still holds up um and uh uh, but do you think any of that? Was, do you think? Go ahead. One thing I thought was silly and did not hold up though is that when the fucking Doctor Floyd is that, is that his name? Yeah, uh, Doctor Floyd. Eat, and when he's on his way to the moon and he's eating his shit, he instead of just picking up each carton with a straw, I thought the same thing. Stuff, I thought the same thing. Whole tray and just sips from each one. I was like, that's stupid. No one would do that. I guess if you want to like mix flavors, you know, like you want to mix either, your mashed you potatoes. Just, pick them up though. yeah i agree <laughs> that was awkward <laughs> or, they're just like Earl's funny just things like oh yeah. my tray's floating <laughs> yeah and like, the stewardess and him like look at each other and laugh like stuff like that uh it's just pretty much gags special effects yeah. gags um but they Meanwhile, still Tarkovsky's just like oh popcorn flick terrible uh, yeah so uh, we're gonna definitely devote a little section to that so i want to i guess we should keep moving but the this if this section is so interesting to me um and this is like the one of the it's just a bunch of special effects like non-stop um and just showing you this and showing you this and here's this and a future like all these future things apparently the um that when um, Kubrick wanted to write this, the screenplay. He reached out to, he wanted to find a science fiction author to work with. So, um, Arthur C. Clarke, um, he linked up with uh, apparently a science fiction writer at the time. So, his short story, The Sentinel, is what the, inspired the, the script. But they worked closely together on it, which I think that is another important thing, is it gives it, um, a sense of science, the like cutting edge sci-fi, um, with the vision, the aesthetic, the visual, um, you know, um, eye or whatever you want to say that Kubrick has, and I think it's a perfect, perfect match. Because I think the wrong, the wrong person, um, aesthetic is applied to the story. It's just not nearly as interesting, um, like in terms of how everything looks and and whatnot. 
and special and also the special effects being able to apply all that yeah. and the cinematography um i feel like that's got to start from him too just like all right well this is how we want to shoot this and i want the person has to come from a ladder and then walk horizontally across into the background it's like that has to be the thing and then we trickle down from there uh it's just like knowing the shots and everything right from the get-go uh yeah, and the next like, movie no. we're going to talk about, like the the how the shots are set up, um, is is definitely super interesting, um, the cinematography and whatnot. It's not to the, this level with the special effects, but um, just simple things. I I was curious and I wanted to talk to you about. Um, so yeah, we should move on to the next part, and this is the part that everybody knows. Uh, I would say they probably learned about it. They've probably seen some cartoon uh, do a redo of it for an episode or some, some kind of other show, you know, reference it. Um, but what you have two uh, space, uh, you have two um, astronauts and they are on a ship that is headed to Jupiter. There are three other astronauts that are in cryo sleep and uh, which is a thing that is featured in a million um, sci-fi movies since then, especially. And uh, they're with an AI named Hal, Hal 9000, and it controls everything on the ship. And uh, and it's real, you know, they talk, they're able to talk to him and, and whatnot and, and reason with it. And, and it's never, ever messed up before. It's never made a mistake. And then they're in the middle they're, they're The two of them stay up to like kind of watch over everything while they're on their journey. And the other three stay asleep. And, uh, basically the computer thinks that something's broken. A sensor is broken and it's not. And they go out to go fix it and they see that it's working fine. Um, and then they take the data and they report it to mission control and they find this, they say it's working fine. And then the, you know, the, the AI is really insisting that something's wrong. And, um, they secretly talk about, maybe we should deactivate it. Like there's, it's never been wrong before, but you know, just to be safe, we should deactivate it and see, you know, we'll, we'll check on it later. And the AI is able to read their lips when they secret, which I think is really clever, um, that they go to try to like see, talk in a place where they think the AI can't see them. And the AI can read their lips and knows that they're going to disconnect it and is very, and wants to, you know, save its life. And is self-interested, you know, it's self-aware uh, thing, and um, murders all the all the astronauts except Dave, and then Dave is but eventually able to shut it down. Um, so what? W- this is like a, a little mini horror, sh- you know, short story, you know, short film in the middle of the movie. Um, it connects everything together, but at the same time, it kind of just really stands on its own. Um, and uh, I think it's super duper interesting. And this section is probably what an hour of the movie. Yeah, it's a thirty minutes for the for the opening, an hour for part two, an hour for this part. Hmm. That's counting the end though, with all the the because the trippy shit yeah, is like twenty five minutes, thirty minutes. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, it's, that's that's what I mean. It's an hour. So like uh, the actual like just nuts and bolts um, horror space story is only about another half hour, right? Well, how yeah, many? It, it's like forty-five it minutes. Way, yeah, it all went way quicker than I thought it would. Would because, like, like I was saying before, pretty much all I remembered growing up from seeing this movie was the ape bone throwing the bone up shot, 
and then just the stuff with Hal. And I didn't even remember any of the stuff in the middle part. Uh, and so when I realized, like, watching this, is like, yeah, this last part is very short uh, in comparison to just, like, it's, it's the equivalent of a feature-length movie just at the end of a movie. Um, condensed down to the end of the movie. But it, uh, the this one, I will say, I, I, not the weakest of the three parts, because I think it's the coolest, but this has the most, like, things on it where it's like with the lip syncing uh uh, uh, like er, like makes me feel a little what yeah i don't know what er means i just like like uh use your words in today's thing if you have a line that's like yes it's supercomputer that's never made a mistake that's a clearly on the nose all right well it's gonna make a mistake so back then, that might have been not. Well, they didn't say that at first, though. They didn't say that until he was acting weird, and then they were like, "Oh, maybe he's." Oh no, no, mistake. they 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 do a whole point when they're introducing the like the whole Hal Nine Thousand thing, and he's explaining himself to the crew or whatever. Uh, yeah, they bring it up like constantly in the beginning, and then perfect operational record. Yeah, that is what they yeah. say is perfect. They say that several times. <laughs> I don't, that doesn't and, really uh, bother me, but I guess I could see, you could see that it's for like foreshadowing. Yeah, back then, it probably would have been fine, but like for now, it's just it's like oh, well, that's definitely where it's gonna go. And then with the lip syncing thing, why did Dave make a point to spin the have Hal spin the pot around so the window was facing Hal instead of just keeping it the way it was? That's what also I was like, why is that other than just for for the plot? Uh, I don't know. I have no idea unless that was the only way they could get in because they didn't turn it until till before, right? Like yeah. It was, so what happened is it's fa- like the the windows facing Hal. They walk in, they turn it around, open the door, they get in the pod, and then he has Hal shut the door and spin it back around, uh, for the 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 window facing back to facing Hal. And he didn't need to do that last part. He could have just stopped and they would have been fine. I think they just didn't think about the lip reading thing at all. And that was just supposed to be like how outsmarted them. Um, Like they thought they were being clever, but they weren't being clever. And like the the computer was smarter. Um, There was a couple things. There are a couple things that I thought was strange. um, um, Toward later on when after everyone's dead and Dave's trying to get back into the ship. um, It's just like, uh, the weird manual things to get back into the ship, which they totally would be, but then it's like he's in the vacuum of space for like a little bit, and like why doesn't he have his helmet on already? And uh, he, did, he didn't. They make a point. There's a throwaway line. Hal says, "And it's like you're gonna die out there. You didn't bring your, helmet, your space helmet." Oh uh, yeah. And uh, but so I looked it up, and you wouldn't die immediately if you have if you're just in space for like that little bit of thing. You'd be fine if you're holding your breath and stuff, but the minute you open your mouth or anything, like it's gonna suck all the air out. Your lungs are gonna explode and you're gonna swell up. Um, but there's like a, a little bit of like a brief, like couple seconds moment where you could you could pull that off. Obviously, this is a perfect scenario where Dave does pull that off. Um, um, I, I there, there was something else that I'm forgetting now uh, about that. That was just like weird. That was weird for me. Um, it's like, oh, well, how did Hal not think that Dave was going to be able to, like, he knows that Dave can get back into the ship. I guess he just thought since Dave didn't have a, a helmet, Space helmet. Yeah. that it just that wasn't going to be able to. But, yeah, that I was like, he's just going to come back in and then kill you anyways, and then everyone's dead. How does that save the mission? Yeah. Um, but uh, that I don't, none of that really bothers me, though. I think it still all works. Um, 
Yeah, um, for, especially for the time, like because all that stuff was so new, and and no one really cared about the like the accuracy of space and anything back then. Uh, and this was very much trying to though. Yeah. Like that, it is aiming to try to be as real as possible. Um, I mean, for like the average layman who's watching the movie, they just, don't know nearly oh, as much wow. about it, and science isn't yeah. as progressed, and whatever. I understand that. Um, it definitely is very, very forward thinking, though, for 1968. Mm. Um, Do you know what the this the the section right after that where he's in the he's floating in the thing, deactivating the the higher brain function stuff. I always only come back to how South Park mashed Akira with with. Uh, oh Al. yeah, what are you doing, but, uh, Yeah, I, said, I literally said it outside. I said it out loud while I was watching. What are you I doing? I did. Yeah, same thing. That's so funny. Oh, the tra- that's so the Trapper funny. Keeper episode, I yep. believe. Yep, yep. Uh, it was very early one. We uh, watched those because we had the DVDs. We watched those first like f- like five, six, seven seasons like a million times. Oh, I know. That was so cool. Like, uh, uh, that was. Uh, I love watching South Park when we were younger because that's. Too young to be watching yeah, but like it, those apparently. episodes don't really hold. They hold up the work the least, though. I think. Uh, really? Yeah, like the, the old, old ones definitely hold up the worst. Uh, not in, the, in terms of an like an offensive way, just like they're not. I don't think they're as funny as they used to be. They rely more on like dick and fart jokes, um, which yeah. are still funny at times. But, um, all right. So, everyone's dead, including Hal. Um. Uh. This is honestly the coolest part, and for me, as far as the set design, this little ship, the interior, is looks really, really cool. Everything's lit up. Um. The there's lights everywhere and handles and little doodads and and things. The screens like the again, really cool. We talked about space the space bods are cool. They look realistic and they have little all grabby arms. Um. Oh. One thing, though, that this movie in the special effects department does not have, and it kind of bothered me, there is no, there are no thrusters on anything. Like, they're there, but they don't turn on. Did you notice that? The pods never have rockets on the back. Like, they do have a section where they would be where it is, but there's no special effect with, like, fire oh, or anything. Gotcha. The, when the one yeah. thing's landing earlier in the film, the one ship, it's just, like, there's no thrusters happening. It's just moving gotcha. on its own. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't notice that, but yeah, that's that's that is true. It bothered. It did bother me. Um, but it's stuff like that, though. I, I can forgive because of how, you know, like Star Wars added thrusters. Yeah. <laughs> they had thrusters on all the ships. Um, but uh, but yeah. So then, I mean, we can talk about the ending uh, now if you'd like, because I think the middle, the this section is the most basic. In terms, it's a pretty straightforward sci-fi. Like pulp sci-fi horror story, um, and it just—it's contained, it's short, and it works. And then once it's done, it turns into the exact opposite of straightforward sci-fi story, and it goes off the rails into a very abstract, psychedelic, um, a uh, metaphorical um, sequence. Um, and then just the fact that this is in a a movie that made a billion dollars in today money is just crazy yeah i it's like david I lynch still, it's like a razor head yeah. taped to the end of star wars <laughs> uh i still don't even know what the fuck i i watched at the end like with the like the man, old man and the baby and yeah the, the old like once like once because it's like he, he he goes through the little like teleport light streak thing and like that's all fine and dandy 
and then he's he's going through that for a good 10 minutes straight yes maybe. this is lights uh, just random lights for just, about 10 minutes yeah and just cutting back to his face in awe and it's called the stargate and, sequence yeah and uh and then they're just showing all these like inverted color like mountain landscapes like uh, like desert mountain landscape stuff and i am just like oh is, is he on a new planet did he get teleported and then he sees like and then i was like oh are they gonna do is this where interstellar clearly interstellar got so much from this movie stole mm. half of the ideas from this movie uh mm. way more than i realized mm. uh, and i'm like okay so it's just like he's oh, he made it back to earth and he's just old now it's like it's a real like uh fucking um 2000s planet of the apes scenario and he gets he's at home and everyone's apes but no it's then he becomes the person that he's like seeing and then he just keeps jumping in age and the monolith comes back and he's a baby and I don't know what it actually, what like the popular interpretations of it are. Um, I probably should have looked at some before this, um, but I just kept thinking to myself that it, it made me think about um, that life is short and that, you know, you are a, the circle of life and, and that you are, you know, you are a grown man now and then you're going to be an older man and then you're going to be, a, you know, on a very old man and you're going to be on your deathbed and then you die um and then like the and, and like he's like reaching to the monolith as he's like dying and then it like cuts yeah. back and it's like a new it's like the next generation it's a new l- baby the baby being uh the star child or whatever is what they call it um and it's just like this giant baby kind of floats over the earth um no idea where that's gonna go um but it's such a cool like they don't really answer anything about the monolith it doesn't really kind of wrap up in a conventional way. We just know that Dave lives and goes into this unknown. And, and then the unknown is the, the kind of visual sequence, short sequence that we get. The way I think I took it, it was like, he, he reaches the monolith and instead of being teleported, like while that lighting, the, the light streak, that's whatever you call it. The Stargate moment. Yeah. uh, I took it as, as him, because the beginning it's 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 they say that when the monkey touches the monolith he learns tools and whenever the, they touch the monolith on the uh, on the moon it activated it and then uh, started that big thing so i'm wondering like when he goes to touch it with his pod if that's just like the rushing of like the infinite knowledge of the universe hitting his brain and our human brains not being like developed enough to be able to interpret it it comes as those streaks and everything and then it's just a representation of like we in the grand scheme of the universe and infinite knowledge, we are still babies in it. Like we have the mind of an infant in comparison or a fetus. Uh, that, that's kind of how I took it without like reading. I haven't read any other interpretations. Either. Um, but I have no I fucking idea if that's even close to what it's going for. Um, so I'm just like cruising through. And actually, it looks like I was not far off um, that the. It's an allegory. It's been described as an allegory of human conception, birth, and death. In part, this can be seen through the final moments of the film, which are defined by the image of the star child and an in, in, in utero fetus that draws on the work of Leonard Nilsson. The star child signifies a great new beginning and is depicted naked and ungirded, but with its eyes wide open. Um, so, yeah, I think I did read that before, and that's from Wikipedia. Um, 
And then, like, I'm reading some stuff about Nietzsche and uh, how that man is kind of like the link, the bridge between ape and the ubermensch, which is kind of like the next step in human evolution. Uh, whether, you know, I don't know if you want to call it mutants or or, or whatever. Um, new types is in Gundam is what they, they call them. Um, but I think that's interesting. And just like in terms of space and technology, like that's how humanity is going to. Um, evolve, I think, past its current form. Um, it is very interesting uh, to think about those kinds of things. It's it's very you know it's the big it's a big kind of meaning of life kind of thing. Um, but it made me the ending definitely made me think about the sh- how short life feels. And you know, the older you get, the the faster it moves in in the cycle of it. And you know, when you're a kid, you think that fifty years is an incredibly long time. And once you've and 20 years later you realize that you're halfway there and how fast that was and it's only getting it's only getting faster the more the more you have a broader concept of big lengths of time um when you're a kid you've never experienced 20 years but now that you're 30 um you know you have a concept of what 20 years feels like age and time are an, accelerate exponentially yes and it's that's the that scares me yeah, it, honestly, it's the fuck. It, whether it's perceived that way because we have more stuff to do as adults and we're do like you're just busier and so time flies quicker, or as a kid you're just constantly doing things you didn't want to do and so everything felt way longer. Well, I but, uh, I think about when I first started working, and uh, like it's an eight hour work day, and it felt yeah. like an eternity. Like the my yeah. and then like as time went on, it it's quicker and quicker, and now. A work day goes in a second. It feels like a week. It's a, it feels like weeks go fast. You know, it's it's mm. the weekend before I know it. Um, yep. Just the routine. I think the routine is another thing that makes things go fast. You do the same thing every day. It's kind of like when you drive. Um, you It's always faster on the way back on a drive than it's faster on the way there because your brain's like uh, has it like mapped out more and you're more on autopilot and it kind of like the time will literally goes faster in your brain. Time is a wild thing, man. It's very like, uh, it's all about how it's perceived, and uh, yeah, like, and it's all rel- it's relative to it, the person too. Yes, yes. Like we have way of tracking it, you know, with with clocks, um, so we know that it is countable. But when you don't, when you take that clock away, and like an hour can feel like an eternity, an hour can feel like a second. Um, but yeah, I was about things like in basketball when you're like jumping up for a layup just like that hang time you feel like you're in the air for seconds but really you're in the air for like half a second i think that's where uh, the idea of bullet time came from you know is uh yeah i guarantee i bet um but yeah we can really dig into I, I don't even know if we're even in the realm of the philosophy of this movie anymore but i think that that that's what this movie kind of brings up is big questions um and i think that i think movie we referenced uh hitchhiker's guide and i think that it's kind of um not me maybe not memeing on this particularly but in that kind of sci-fi has to be big and and, and uh ponder the the future and and um the big and, and provide the technology in the future will pr- provide answers that will uplift um humanity or in sentient beings um, but yeah, there's religious, I think you can, you know, there's religious aspects to the film spiritual, um, also with, in terms of science 
and evolution. Um, and I think that's cool is the crossroads between, and you, you, we've named how many sci-fi properties. Um, and I know that in sci-fi, uh, literature, um, that there's, you know, tons of examples of this, I'm sure by this time, but in terms of film and television that, um, we've never really seen anything like this. Um, yeah. I, love, everyone just, I would love everyone to know just, if there is other things like this before this, you know, like, please, if there's anyone listening that knows, um, but, uh, it's seen that's so special. Um, and you know, intercellars and annihilation and, um, Ex Machina and Blade Runner one and two and Aliens and uh, even um, uh, you know I don't know or just Event Horizons and I mean it even bleeds into mainstream shit like Marvel with sci-fi stuff and and whatever like it's not just gonna be in the art realm it when something's this big and important it affects everything like we said how many times do we yeah. see We've watched movies, like these classic movies, and we've seen them like riffed on in a cartoon we watched as kids uh, mm-hmm. or something like that. Like it just it permeates pop culture uh, and then changes art and, uh, and and moves things forward or at least opens things wider. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What Do you, do you want to talk about anything else with 2001? I think I'm either going to get a t-shirt or a bumper sticker that just says Tarkovsky's a hater. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So, uh, so let's talk about, um, comparing Solaris to 2001. We said in our Tarkovsky episode that he notoriously hates this movie because he thinks that it is a lot of, um, uh, like it's, it's, it's it's all style, no substance. Thank you. Um, that is, you know, it, it's all these effects, it's all these gags and it is, and it's a lot of, you know, the, I think it, it's too vague and isn't specific enough, maybe like in its metaphors, um, like it, it, in Solaris, it's vague, but like the metaphors are, you know, kind of not obvious, but, um, pretty clear. Whereas this is like the ending, it's kind of vague, really vague and open to like, purposely open to interpretation um and it just makes the vision just all like it's all about the way it looks and then you just kind of assign your own meaning to the randomness and psychedelia of it or i don't know i i think that's kind of a part of it um solaris i think is a good movie and i think it is influential on and also on some of the movies that we've mentioned today like blade runner 2049 um is is one that comes to mind um it's just being more um, thoughtful and ponderous and it, you don't need to rely on the special effects. It's like, as long as the story is good, um, it can have that big scope. Um, but at the same time, this movie is good. And I think this movie does make you feel a lot. And there's a reason why it does resonate with so many people. And um, I, I definitely think I like 2001 better. I hundred percent like two thousand one better. I think that in no and th- while I I think Solaris, you know, cool, uh, you know, it's boring, especially compared to this. This is like this takes the slow because this has those slow burn elements. There's so many long shots on this. I mean, the the opening before the monolith even shows up in part one, we're just watching monkeys, you know, just yell and and feed each other and eat like, and it drags it out. And each shot's like very long um but it's just this is done in a lot this is done maybe it's because it's it's in a way that is having that little bit of that style and 
popcorn. There is the special effects, though, are a significant part of the film. Yeah. All the ships flying and all the zero gravity stuff, and pretty much the second section is so much of that. Yeah, but it's like, but it adds to the to the immersion. It's not just effects to have effects. Like I feel like that whole middle thing straps you into. All right, this is how this world works. So when the third one comes, you are aware and ready for everything and anything. I I still think it's interesting. Um, and even if when things become dated, it's still interesting as a time capsule to see like 1968, uh, really act try um kind of accurate interpretation of the future but at the same time as you i can see that there is an argument that it's indulgent and maybe takes away from the film the story of the film um and you know it does make the movie significantly longer um and yeah uh, I, i we didn't say this i texted you this this is a 90 minute movie stretched out to two and a half hours uh um for sure but it's just it's done tastefully um and yeah and i it I don't know. I like. I do like it. I think there, that there is maybe um, there's some comparison I would like to make with with Barry Lyndon. I think more so, um, with some of the way things are shot. But uh, so I'll say that. But so, but yeah, I don't know. I think they're both good movies, but this is just, it. It it hits a little bit harder. I think because it's just well rounded because of its effects and budget and a sci fi movie. Um, is enhanced by effects more than I think almost any other genre because um, it's pretty vital to the immersion of the setting. Yeah. All right. Uh, do we want to score 2001, the space, a space odyssey? Yeah, hell yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to give it a four and a half. I'm going to give it a five. Oh, wow. Another I'm- perfect. Well, I mean, it's it's considered one of the best movies of all time. It is. It is true. Um, all literally every single reviewer that I have that I follow, all give it a five. Interesting. Five, 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 five. I mean, five, it five, it is five. it is a five. the The reason I was at four and a half was just because of the little hiccups that I that I talked about, and that and that it is a ninety minute movie, just stretched out. Uh, but I, I think honestly, but, the second part of it, uh, the stretched out, adds so much anxiety and feeling. Like there isn't a, I am on edge when I watch this movie. Yeah, that, that's why I, I like this over Solaris. Solaris is just people walking around and talking, and this is like this is engaging. You want to pay attention because you don't know where it's going, and especially in the whole second second part of the movie. Um, and that's why it's just it holds. Uh, yeah, it's a five. It is a five. It's 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 a damn near perfect film, but it is so for what it's done for the world and everything around it. Yeah, I think it's just because it's like influenced so many other fives. Yeah, <laughs> it's a you know it's a five too, and I and I don't I I do try to evaluate things as is. I don't really try to um, increase score because of impact, but it is when you consider that like it's it's it was a five to them 20 years ago and just because some things some very very minor things have not aged the best i just don't think it's enough for me to take it away it's just like amazing what they were able to do in 1968 and it's like obvious why this film has such an impact to this day um this is one of those movies they send into space to show aliens you know yeah uh (laughs) This hey, this is what we thought that you guys would be. 
Well, you'd be. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I guess they're the monolith and all this. Yeah. Um, but, but it's yeah. definitely this deep philosophical things, at, at, while also being entertaining at a, a basic level, and that is all. Like I, in my opinion, is some of the best art. It should be able to do that. But all right, Cubes, hit them with a five. Can we make it ten? When we move oh, on to Barry, even longer movie. And yeah, an even longer movie. So this movie, let me let me switch over. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I thought real quick. I thought Barry Lyndon because of the length, and I, I knew there was gonna be an intermission point in the middle. I was hoping that like, oh, maybe it's three hours because like like um, the Seven Samurai, it was like a 15 minute intermission in the middle. Nope, it's like ten seconds. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, uh, I said the same thing. Riss, I hit the ten second forward button, and it just like immediately was at the next title card. Yeah. Um. Uh, but yes, this is the second time I've seen this film. I loved it the first time. I was incredibly intimidated by it. Um, somebody said four hour or three and a half hour period piece, eighteenth century period piece. Um, made in the seventies. Uh, it's three and a half hours. I thought it was only three. Three hours. I'm sorry. Three and three hours. Three hours and four minutes. I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, made in the seventies. I would have been terrified to see this. It's gonna be boring. It's gonna be awful. I'm not gonna get into this. Um, but the only that, thing that that made me dive in was our boy Stanley Kubrick. So I've seen uh, so many of his films, and I've liked every single one. I think it was like hot off of me watching Strange Love for like the tenth time in a row, and uh, or I just watched maybe Clockwork Orange again or something like that. And I think I think I will even watch The Shining for the first time, and I'm like, well, what else has he got? And I think maybe one on YouTuber or something suggested Barry Lyndon, and I put it on. And it was just I keep I say this to risk this movie is a page turner. Like the way you read a book that you're so into and you just keep going, you keep you can't put it down. You just want to keep going forward. Cause it's like a book is long. A book takes, you know, days to read. Or at least a day if you read years. it from sun up to sundown. Um years for some people. Uh, uh, yeah, you with poor attention. Um <laughs> Me. But a movie can have that kind of, when it's extremely long, can kind of have that. And this is just like I wanted it to just last forever. It felt like a like a show, like a prestige show that I really was into, and I wanted to watch the whole season, ten episodes in one sitting. Um, and uh, so yeah, this is like the the time the length is not anything. The length is not a it does not hinder this movie in any way whatsoever, and I can't believe I would have ever the the me that before I watched this movie can't believe I would be saying that. Hey, all I'm gonna say is after doing the a couple weeks ago Stalker, which was two hours forty something, or not Stalker, uh, Solaris, which is two hours forty seven minutes, and Stalker, which is three hours and thirty minutes. This I'm I'm just I'm I'm ready for for whatever three hours. The I've been, I've been prepped. I'm just watching. Yeah, like Stalker was a good like, movie possible. Ran and Stalker and Seven Samurai, those are all good, good long movies. But when you get hit with a bad, like not great long movie, or just sometimes with like I was not in the right mood for um, Drive My Car, and in its length just crushed me a little bit. 
Uh, the Batman was very hard for me because of the length, but but like this, nothing, nothing at all. Yeah, this is maybe me, the e- of all of these long movies we've watched recently. This is the easiest one to watch. Yeah, I think it's because it's fun. Like it's not depressing. Like the second half it, is. Yeah, you're not, right. But it's not in a depressing. It's not way. brooding. It makes sense. Like yeah, like th- there's. And for me, what what kept me going was honestly the narrator having the little bit of like cheeky silliness into the narration. Uh huh. Uh huh. His style. It, it, well, yeah, because it just set it up. It was like, okay, this is not a boring period piece. This is more like not Princess Bridey, but it just has that like it, the narrator sounded like uh, we used to have a, a computer game that was like fairy tale shit when we were kids, like elementary school, and it's the, it sounded so much like that narrator. So uh, uh, I think I'm gonna blow your mind. I believe the guy who plays the narrator is the guy who plays Alfred in the '90s Batman movies. Really? Wow. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on that. I gotta double check. No, I think I'm wrong. But his well, voice is very similar. In our hearts and in our minds. He oh man, I'm usually good about but, that. But he's very similar voice. But um but uh it's it's very good. Um and it's like it's fun and it's it's slow. Like it really takes its time when it wants to take its time. There are shots mm-hmm. where they're like incredibly slow zoom crawls in, you know, whatever you call mm-hmm. that, slow zooms in and uh or slow zooms out. And but you're kind of just so into this, it, it's immersive and it's uh, it's like a painting. Every time it does that, it's kind of you're looking at a painting and you're just like watching. It's just slightly moving, like in Harry Potter or something. Um, yeah, the the whole two for one shots thing was so cool, and it was like because you see that you've seen so much stuff do like slow zoom outs and all that stuff, but they don't end in an, like an epic like Renaissance painting picture. Yes, where, it's like a like, good close up shot. And then it yeah. zooms out into a beautiful wide painting, you know. And then, like and every just... single thing is filled out, it's balanced. It has like the composition is perfect, and uh, and then you get even though it's it's a single shot uncut, you get two shots out of it, and it feels like a cut almost, you know, or like the because of the the dynamic. Movie. I read uh, that he took uh, he would he went and looked through. Um, uh, you know, books and whatever at actual paintings of these from these eras, and uh, try to block shots to be almost exactly like so, some of these paintings. Sick. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, you can see it. You could definitely see it because painterly is definitely what I would describe. But the, those wides, uh, after the zooms, a hundred percent. Here's one right here. Um, the and then the other thing that is worthy to note about in the production is the lighting. Um, it is all natural lighting. Um, so every time you're indoors, it is those candles, um, you know, all candle lit in the room. Um, Corey, didn't you had some factoid about um, yes. a lens so that he used for this? There's a special Zeiss uh, lens that was made that Kubrick had made specifically for this movie. It was a point uh, er, for, for film light uh, through lens is measured in T stops and for photos, it's F stops. So if I'm saying one or the other, they're effectively same thing uh so a normal like what we would call a fast lens which would be great for low light would be like a t2 or a t18 uh where it's very shallow up the field but you can get a lot of light in the the lights that are the lenses that were developed for the candlelight shots is a 0.95 t.95 which is like milli like for if you're using a normal portrait lens you're talking millimeters is what your focus depth is 
so it's like no one can move or else they're immediately out of focus. But that, what I liked on how they did this, they're shot with this lens, but it's all wide. Uh, it's a wide angle lens, which the wider the lens, the, the more things are in focus uh, easier. And it's, it's done so well. The only way that I could tell that it was just a, uh, like all natural light with a crank, though, was you could tell like uh, in a modern movie when they do candlelight stuff, they don't let the candle flame get so nuclearly like highlight clipped. But in doing that, you end up with a very dark, moody scene still. This one, they don't give a fuck. Crank the fucking, open the aperture up as wide as possible and uh, get that light. Let those candles go nuclear, as we would say. And uh, But it's so cool because that's just like, that's how it is. That's how it would be lit. That's how the light would. Yeah, they want it to look like how it would look like to your eye if you were yeah. like sitting in this tavern or sitting at this dinner party in this mansion, and they have these the chandeliers with tw- like fifty candles going at once. Um, me and Riss were talking about that. Like, so the obviously servants have to do this, but you know if they ever want to use that room in the in the evening. They, you know, though they have to replace those candles every single night. It gets used fifty yep. candles. Just like the sickeningly rich is a like the third part of this movie. Just to find out how sickeningly rich people were at this time, and in a time where there was a great disparity between being rich and poor. Um, but uh, but so yeah, I think we can get into the movie itself. the The movie is about a man. Um, he starts as a boy, um, and we see his whole life. Um, his whole bulge. His whole bulge. Is that what he said? His whole, yeah, Redmond Barry. The whole first part of this movie is nothing but Redmond Barry's bulge. I said the way his pa- yeah, Riz said something about that too, about the way his pants were like pulling. Yeah. That it was very, yeah, watch uh, ex- the movie. It just might be the way it, that the pants were cut, you know, like for it's a- all dick outline. <laughs> so the guy who plays uh, Redmond Barry, our lead, is um Ryan O'Neill and I you uh at home the folks at home and I know him best for playing the father stop and the father and uh uh and the the gov running the guy running for governor in Malibu's most wanted um and uh so yeah Bill Gluckman I believe is his name he does a really funny uh, political commercial in the movie about when he's like playing basketball or something. I think I ripped it off for a school project once. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think Ryan O'Neill's performance, let me just get this out of the way. I think it's really good because he's really good at playing this like cocky fuck, entitled fuck, I think is the best. He's a very entitled person, but also his Irish accent is very half assed. Uh, oh, I didn't even know. I, like, I know he's supposed to be an Irishman, but it. I just thought he was doing a British accent. No, it's supposed to be Irish, uh, and uh, you hear, you can't hear him trying to do an Irish accent. It comes out um, on certain uh, vowel sounds, but it is very half-assed. It's very much a. I'm, I'm American, and then I'm gonna sometimes talk with a, uh, a slightly Irish, slightly English accent. Um, but it doesn't matter. For some reason, it does not matter. Everyone else's accents are fine, as far as I can tell. Um, but I think you just, you just, it just works. It just works for Barry. Barry, um, how should we say this? Barry sucks as a person, but he seems to just keep um, kind of rolling into next phases of life. Like it doesn't really fully, his terrible choices never fully catch up to him. 
um, until they do in the end, yeah, towards not, the end of the movie. Not, it's not like failing upwards. It's just being in the wrong place at the wrong time upwards. That makes sense. It's like he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, but then he like so he's incredibly self-interested. He puts himself over ever his he has no loyalty to anyone except for himself. Um, and I think when he realizes that he will do what it takes to survive, and when his back up again is up against the wall, he rises to the occasion. And many points of this film, you know, he gets into a a bare knuckle boxing fight with this guy that is like twice his size, and he like shows this courage, and and he you know is known as a cool guy in the military now after that. And then like you know he, he performs well in battle, and um, but then he also like you know leaves the battle field just for fucking fun and he eventually deserts and um gets captured by the prussian army and they make you know conscript him and uh he does this heroic thing while he's working for them and then is become a loyal hero to them and it's just really interesting that it's like this rise and fall like he he does see consequences for being a fucking piece of shit uh, but then he like somehow is good for a little while or behaves for a while just enough to become free um, and live and do the things that he wants to do again. Um, yeah, it's very, oh, it's, it's just, it's just great. It's just great. Um, Cause it's you're fun. just like, Oh fuck. Whoa. Oh, how's he going to get out of this? How's he going to get out of this one? Oh, Barry. Um, and he's very naive, but then he slowly does become like very deceptive and uh, um, manipulative uh, of his own, you know. Like in the beginning of the film, he he gets robbed by these very polite uh, highwaymen. That yeah, mug him extremely polite. Is one of the, the I think that's like a, a whole theme in the film. Me and Riss were talking about this. Is a you know there's this air of sophistication and manners. And, and, uh, but in reality, it's, this society is incredibly barbaric. You know, people are killing each other. People are killing each other. People are fighting. People are fighting wars for nothing. Uh, the the rich live in excess and opulence and the poor live in shit. Like, it's just awful. In the second part of the movie, when he's telling his kid war stories and the kids is like, well, did you get to keep the severed heads? (laughs) Like, Like, what do you mean? No. Like to tell these kids about all these severed heads. I mean, he's exaggerating. Like these stories are exa- yeah, definitely yeah. exaggerated. Um, that but is yeah, just it's a, just such a nonchalant thing. It's just the, the disparity, um, and just like the, the there's manners, but everyone's just slime balls and doing scummy shit and uh, fucking each other over. And, and um, yeah, the, so Barry follows suit and becomes a you know, backstabbing, lying criminal, essentially, that kind of fu- slimes his way into high society. Does he ever get the title officially? I, th- I don't know if the movie was explicit if he does gain the title uh, of being a highborn. I think he doesn't. I think he gets kind of, like, manipulated, yeah. and then uh, they kind of bleed him dry. He brings his mom in, and then his mom starts getting in his ear about, you need to become a lord, or else you're not getting any of her money. Yeah. Uh, if she dies, you you lose everything. Uh, and so then he becomes obsessed with that. But then she, after the death of the kid, they both are just distraught. And mom ends up just running everything. And uh, and it's just like, I, I can't remember if she's just giving shit away. I don't know. She fires the chaplain. I remember that. 
Um, well, so that doesn't happened. answer my question about does he actually become I don't a think, lord or not. I don't think so because they pay him off to leave and never return, and then they give him that annual salary. Well, I mean, uh, before that, that's that's the very end. Like, no, that's the, what the I'm lord like, part is is like way before that. It's when he's uh, like no, visiting I, with I that lord Wendover, and he's spending a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and like he has those dinner parties and it kind of like climaxes in, um, Barry uh, bowling din acting crazy at the con the music concert and, uh, Barry beating the, trying to kill bowling din. Yeah. In front I, of everybody. After, after that, the narrator's like all of his friends grew distant and everything. Yeah. So, they don't think con- so uh, yeah, the wiki says he was cast out of polite society after that. Um, yeah. Yeah, Brian, uh yeah, he so then Barry shows kindness to only to really his son. Um and he uh Brian, who's bad. the one who's a like, papa, can I have a horse, papa? Which I know I feel like I've heard before uh, just like using the the kid who says spoiled rich kid who says papa a bunch. Um but yeah, Brian dies. So the only thing Barry loved, he spoiled and it pretty much the spoiling is what killed the kid. Yeah. Um and uh yeah. There's it's a there's so much that happens in the story. I wanted to go ahead. I was gonna say this is two movies worth of content in one movie. It is a lot. Well, it does say part one. It's interesting that it's it is split up into part one and part two, because like the first half is his rise, and then I feel like the second half is his fall. Yeah. Um, So much happens in each section. Like in the first half, is like he's on all these adventures and he's doing all these different things and he's, you know, he's getting into trouble and then he's getting out of trouble and, um, you know, it's very, it's very much a like a, I don't even know if you call it a hero's journey, um, but then it's like that. I think that's what's interesting is the length really gives it a a different kind of structure narratively because it's so extended. Um, Like you could have a traditional movie end you know, when he's a hero and he's on top. Uh, but yeah. instead we keep going and he's, you know, he flies too close to the sun um, and just takes it all for granted, like what he's achieved. Um, and by the end of it, he is childless, he is loveless, he's penniless, um, and he's missing a leg. Um, yep. yeah, so there he's are- got the of every stick by the end of this movie because he spends the whole second half of the movie is just him spending money and banging chicks and it's like chia chia it was just terrible terrible yeah terrible person but um the one we didn't really really talk about this but it is like a main motif of the film is duels gun pistol duels uh flint yeah. you know, flintlock or whatever pistol duels and uh, there's three of them in the film. The beginning, uh, Barry's father, at the very opening first shot of the film is Barry's father being killed in a duel over a horse. Um, a little bit later, um, the, the movie opens with a young Barry who is seduced by his cousin um, and he falls in love with his cousin and she's going to be married to a British officer and he challenges him, the man to a duel and the family wants the man's money so they manipulate the duel so that Barry wins and thinks that he's killed a man and has to run town out of town because it is dueling is illegal at this time. And then in the end, Lord Bullingdon, um, the son of his uh, of Countess Linden, the the lady that he marries, um, kills or not kills him but shoots him in a duel. Which the last, honestly, the first time I watched the final duel. It was very tense because I did not know where it was, how it was going to end up. Because I was like, this could go anyway. 
Like Barry could blow this kid's head off and be seen as a piece of shit. Lord Bolden could kill Barry. They could wound each other. Like I honestly thought that once the accidental firing went off for Lord Bullingdon, that Barry was going to do what he did. And then they're like, okay, satisfied. Like, yeah, that's that what is I a thing. That is a thing. Like sometimes the dudes would challenge each other to duels, shoot over each other's heads and then be like, okay, we're good. We're cool. Um, for some reason they did that. Um, yeah, but, uh, no, they didn't do that. Lord Bullion shoots him in the leg, um, causing him to have to be in the shin and it has to be amputated. And, uh, that's all that whole duel though is what I, my, I have a thing with is the first two duels is the men shoot at the same time. The final duel is they take turns, which whoever goes first on the head or on the coin toss, they're obviously going to win the duel. Like, especially if they aim for the face like i don't know I I don't, I, for some weird. reason don't remember them shooting at the same time in the second duel the second duel, the second duel they shoot at the same time uh because barry's goes off slightly first before the other guy and in, in hits and the other guys shoot slightly high but they happen at the same time and the third duel it's one at a time and it's not addressed why i, I just assume because they're in a different country now it's just, i, it's I don't know there's different rules though right. i do know that there are different rules um those are two ways that you can do it um the, the take turn but, way and the other way so it's like russian mm-hmm. roulette because they're so inaccurate you know um yeah. that that you know there's it's nothing for is for sure something could go wrong with the guns um mm-hmm. which is what, is what happens um yeah oh my god yeah dude's fumbling bowling fun fumbling with the gun he's so nervous because he it. thinks he's gonna die and throws up after oh he's he a coward he's a coward <laughs> But he faces oh, it, man. and he ultimately yeah. wins. Yeah. Um. But uh. Oh, but yeah, man. I thought he was gonna try to like uh, back out or something, and no, he does it. Um. So, is there any other particular sections that you want to talk about as favorite parts? I usually I, I like the Prussia section because I think I really like Captain Potsdorf. Yeah. I think he's funny because he sees through Barry's bullshit until he doesn't mm. anymore. I think that is something interesting is that Potsdorf yeah. is like, I'm on to you and all your bullshit. But when it came down to it, Barry won his trust and then mm. manipulated him into his own free, you know, getting his own freedom and, mm. and money and, and whatever working for the Chevalier. Yeah. 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 It was, that was all cool. I like the, all the stuff, with the gambling and all that. The, I like the I like so much of the first part just because it's it is just an adventure film for the first half, uh, and it's just, like when he steals the right before he meets that officer when he steals the uh, the the gay officer couple that are taking the bath in the lake together like conf- professing their love. Yeah, everything. yeah, that was an interesting just, scene. That was super funny, like because I think it's it seemed like it's meant to be a comedic moment. And, yeah, and, and it's just funny, and he just steals all of his shit and just leaves and fakes being an officer and. Uh, there's just so many moments like that that just like there's a a bit of whimsical and like minor silliness to a lot of this, which I think keeps it fun and moving. Yeah, I think it, that's it. why I think that's what makes it good is that it is fun because um, I think people usually uh, assume that a period piece is going to be like kind of uh, dry. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how I, I'm one of those people. I normally do not like watching this era like 17th and eight or 1700, 1800s stuff. I normally don't like, cause I think, it's, I think it's going to be boring. Uh, but this is just not that this is just like, uh, it's like a, a single person, like buddy, buddy movie. If that makes sense. Like it just, it's a nice adventure film. And then the second half more or less just becomes a, 
uh, like a not a dark comedy, but just kind of because there's just so much bad shit happening to this guy, but it's just not presented. It doesn't feel like it's that bad, you know? Does that make sense? Because I guess it's his perspective is just he's just so carefree, even though all the bad things are sitting in there. You can tell he's like really confident and entitled, but he keeps so yeah. like his confidence kind of carries him through to the next thing, um, to the next like adventure. Um, I wanted yeah. to uh, bring up something because the first time I watched this, I did not, uh, I wasn't aware because uh, I had not seen this other mo- movie. But this time, it kind of reminded me. I saw some parallels to Citizen Kane, um, in terms of like it is a biopic, you know, kind of a fa- a fictional biopic of um, uh, you know, um, of this whole man's life, begin, you know, not beginning to end, but like from a young man to pretty much dead, um, near death. Um, and I, I don't know if this is like you know, meant to be, I, I do th- see it a little bit as like a 18th century, uh, citizen Kane kind of story. Um, you know, he's like, he's not rich and to start, you know, he's on or the orphan thing or whatever, but, uh, but he's not low born either. Like he's kind of like in the middle and, um, you know, works his way, uh, to be in this big shot and then kind of falls. Uh, he's written, there's a lot of the scenes at the end with these giant rooms with nothing in them and all the paintings on the wall and just buying shit for nothing. It really reminded me of, of Kane building Xanadu and being in like hit the scenes yeah. where it was just like these giant dark rooms with a huge, one huge chair in it or something ridiculous, mm-hmm. a comically huge painting or a comically huge chair. Yeah. Um, I don't well, know. I, I don't but I understand when they started hemorrhaging money, why didn't they just start selling all the f- like? Because then you could have kept the house, you know, at least. And uh, yeah, I no idea. No idea. Be replaced, but I get maybe it's a pride thing. I, who knows? I just like, you know, you're hoarding stuff, like it's your stuff. Yeah. Um. But yeah, did you see? Did you think did you see anything like that, or do you? I, I, mean, I didn't think of it until you said it. But now that you've said it, yeah, that whole end, like once they, once they've realized they're broke and poor, and they're showing all, all those like uh all those uh, establishing shots of all the different rooms that are just empty like the uh yeah 100 well like they're not it's empty like, because they're poor that's just like no rich no people I mean, back. yeah people. they have giant yeah. rooms for no for no reason all this yeah, extra yeah. space um, yeah i just meant like empty of people they're just empty, yeah, like, yeah 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 filled rooms of shit but empty of 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 any like you know hope or people mm. or, or anything like that yeah yeah, yeah. uh but yeah, that's exactly how like the end of Citizen Kane is. I, I, I don't think I would have thought about it. Bring it up, but that's that's a very interesting. Um, and yeah, and just like I don't know, there's definitely Kane is it's different because he's like uh he is like a he's actually a good person in the first part of the movie. Like he did, he gets slowly corrupted by his wealth and and greed, whereas yeah. he Barry is always a piece of shit. He's a cousin fucker to start. Oops, um, <laughs> he's a cousin fucker to start, and uh, and then he goes around the world fucking people's wives and yeah. uh, you know. Oh my god! This, I completely forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, he is fighting. He is fighting. That lady's husband in the war. No, no, they're on the same side. And, no, I thought they were on different sides. No, I no, she the was, Prussians uh, in the uh, she's German, and the Prussians were on the same side of the British. The oh, they're okay. against the Swedes, I, the Russians, and some and the French. Uh, gotcha. I thought she was. I took that as like, seven man, years you just war. Banged some other general's life, wife of like from the other army. No, like, no, it's not, even worse because they're allies. <laughs> oh my god. 
<laughs> yeah, if anything, and, uh, you I love that it's the... part of the war, you know, fucking I know, I love wives. The, yeah, the the narrator was just like, uh, but little did he know that she opens her heart to all men. Uh, oh, yeah, more... yeah, he's not the first and he won't be the last. And he won't be the last, yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought that was very funny too, because because it was uh, like, man, is Barry like this smooth motherfucker that just like stumbles his way into pussy? Uh, but uh, actually, no, <laughs> not really. Apart from just friend. luck out. Um, yeah, he just gets lucky or, or just finds it right place, right time, wrong place, wrong time. He's that's kind of like this whole movie, and it's very. Yeah. It, it, it honestly like I mean he makes these decisions, but it just feels like he's on a ride, and it's kind of just t- getting pulled to the next thing. Um, and he, and he makes the most of, of that, especially when he becomes a gambler. That's when he's like at, that's like the, when he's on at its peak right before the, he cucks. Oh yeah. How about the line from Mr. The, the Sir Linden, the old oh, man. Yeah, he's like, and he's like, uh, he's like, um, I'd rather be known as a cuckold than a fool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. That was um, good. But yeah, is there anything yeah, else oh. that you want to touch on with Barry Linden? I, it's so big. I'm just having trouble finding like the little like the moments, but it's so much happens. But uh, I don't know. I mean, like I like how the ending is just like her signing the card, and you just have to you read the card that they're just paying him five hundred a year, uh, and she's just like sadly fucking signing it off because she's like stuck. It's her it's her alimony payment essentially for the life. Yeah, that's what they, yeah that's what uh, they said. Oh, I I don't know if we did mention that this is a, the screenplay is adapted uh is an adapted screenplay on the a novel by William Makepeace Thackeray called The Luck of Barry Lyndon. Luck. The the misfortunes of Barry Lyndon on sequel book. I don't know. There's just so much happens. This is it's a fun movie though. This is like it's I, I didn't not unlike a lot of these, like other Kubrick films and a lot of other blog reviews, I didn't think it this was a slow burn in that regard. No, it, well, there's slow. There is slow moments in terms of the shots holding on things, like the like the zoom, slow zooms shots. Um, there's just like stuff like that where they really like hang on something, um, but. Um, but it really just moves moves. Other than that, uh, I want to, the the music, the score. Of this is awesome. Um, like I want to use some of this score in a D and D, like a like an aristocratic quest in a D and D campaign where you're like in a noble court or something, and it's I don't know that that dun 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 dun. I was just like, I, is there another like maybe? Do they use this music in that one episode of Always Sunny where they play that crazy game, and like the piano plays like in between the rounds? It's been a while since I've watched any uh, Always Sunny. Yeah, you gotta watch. You gotta watch things. I've seen. I, I guess you're watching movies. Now, yeah. Yeah. I don't watch a lot of TV shows anymore, but the uh, I've seen the first five seasons of Always Sunny, but it was in college, uh, and I have. Yeah, you don't watch TV. Um, I do sometimes. I get into stuff. I'll be I'll be on a hankering for something. Uh, lately, it's just been I've been trying to find a, a new good anime. Uh, time has oh, I can away. find. I can suggest thousands. Um, I know. <laughs> um, I just haven't had time to even start anything. But, but uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's score this bad boy. Um, it's pretty much. Uh, I'm just gonna tell. I'm gonna go first. 
I think this yeah. is uh, pretty flawless in the cinematography department. It's uh, obviously pretty flawless in terms of costume design, art direction, because uh, it's a really well put together period piece. Uh, the score I just praised as being amazing. Um, the Everything really works about this movie, and I don't have any critiques. And the fact that it's made a three-hour period piece, you know, this good is it makes it even special, more special. I'm giving it a five. Wow, that's I mean I knew you're gonna give it that, but the it's two fives in one episode. That's what's groundbreaking. Uh, yeah, uh, well, you when you do greats, that's what happens. I then I do two fives in uh, maybe Seven Samurai and Ran. Did you? Were those I don't, maybe fives? I didn't. Maybe I gave one of those. I know you gave Ran a five for sure. I also think that Ran, there's some ways that the the shots are set up in this movie that kind of remind me of how, like the big wides. And there are some slow zooms in Ran too, just like this. The, uh, I want, so I'm torn because like, I agree with everything you said if for your reasoning for giving it a five. But I, I think 2000, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I'm into 2001, but I liked it better. Uh, just I think it's more my genre of things, but this I don't see a reason not to give it five, but I just feel like because I didn't like it as as two thousand one. I mean, you can no, ab- I, don't you, I mean, it's this is meant to I be what I, you think the film is, not what you like. It's not. A I know, but it's thing. like I know, but it's. Uh, I don't. I I don't know. You have to be I, objective. You will have a hard time being objective. Well, that's hard. It's no, it's impossible for any true critic or reviewer of anything. No, but you can you can uh, you can set aside biases when you know that you have them, like towards a certain yeah. genre, towards a certain style. Like I have biases against things, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. It's not a big deal. You don't have to give it a five. But I'm just saying, you no, know. But I, that, I agree. If but that I agree. Is your issue then that you know, I don't maybe. have a reason to not give it a five, even though my heart says and you can and, half, and you I, can you can score two things a five and like one better it doesn't mean that they're yeah. equally good it doesn't mean that they can't that's have true. like a gap of some kind like that's true it's just like i don't know i don't know but if it doesn't but also like some people need to be blown away to give something a five um i, I think i'm like that kind of thing but this like, does blow a, me away i think because of yeah. how i'm into this movie that i in a genre that i would not be into i'm this into it you know Mm. it's this long I, yeah <laughs> and i love every second of it i'm hanging on it it could have been four hours it could have been a snyder i want the snyder kind of i want the linden cut yeah the kubi cut of the uh, Barry cut. Linden. you know like yeah. i that that's i think uh enough to be said you know from going off that i think i'm gonna go four and a half just for 2001 blew me away this i love i really liked but i couldn't see i don't know if i could watch it anytime soon oh i can watch it again tomorrow and i think that for that reasoning it's a four and a half for me but man is it good man i surprisingly good i wouldn't i knew nothing about this going in and the moment i found out it was a period piece i'm not gonna lie i i went oh god damn and then i saw the runtime and went oh god damn but uh no this is this is pleasantly surprising and a really good movie Oh, we we have to mention one of the best iconic scenes in the movie, and I'm reminded because I have the letterbox page up, um, and it's got the picture of it. Is when there he has achieved, you know, he's married the countess, and he's now, 
you know, powerful rich man or whatever. And he's, uh, they're in, they're riding in a, in a stagecoach or whatever. And, um, he's smoking a pipe and <laughs> she asks him to stop smoking. Can you please stop smoking for a little bit? And he doesn't answer. He looks at her and just blows a big old hit in her face. Which is so wild because the right before that, the narrator is just like uh, how they were inseparable, so in love or whatever. And as soon as they're married, immediately turns. He got what he wanted. Yep. He got what he wanted because he's an opportunist and he didn't actually love her. Um, He's a piece of shit. Piece of Uh, shit. Barry Lyndon. That's if you like watching movies about a piece of shit. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Surprised this. There isn't a musical this made because this seems like a perfect musical like concept. That, yeah, you know what maybe. I mean? Oh uh, yeah, I can see it. I can see like, it. Like like a uh, like a spam a lot style, like comedy musical. Like yeah. I can totally see it. um maybe that's maybe that's you. Maybe you'd be the one. The music man. What is I want is there a genre a period just call it a period drama film. It's just funny because it's got it's so it's like it's not like a laugh out loud thing, but there's so many outrageous things. You're just yeah, oh yeah, my god! I scream oh humorous. my god and point at the screen so many times in this movie. Like yeah. oh what a fucking wild man! What an asshole! What a piece of shit, Barry Lyndon. But all right, yeah, you, you could totally book a Mormon this, and and yeah, that's the lead song. What a piece of shit, Barry Lyndon. That's the opening song of the fucking movie or of the um, musical. But all right, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Um, I don't think we know what we're doing next, um, do we? No. So we'll, we that's okay. We got some time to figure it out. Um, we got a little bit of a, of a backlog recorded, which is nice for us. Um, so keep that in mind. We'll I'll try to put the the record dates in the uh, descriptions. Make sure you follow us, Best Boys Film Pod. Uh, you can follow me at Slob Thomas, him at Corey with a story with a K. Um, you got anything you want to plug? Not at the moment. I got nothing, nothing crazy going on. Just check out the old Instagram that I never post to at Corey with a story with a K. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything obvious that I want to do, but we're just we'll we'll talk about it. We got a few weeks, so uh, we'll uh, say, yeah, we we can think about it over the next few days and get back. I've actually restarted, I think I mentioned it last episode, um, my A24 binge of trying to finish seeing every single one. So uh, I might, I know that Men is coming out soon, which is a new one. And X, I think, is already out. But those, I don't think, are going to be big enough. Men is made by Alex Garland, who did Ex Machina. So I was debating on, but... uh, I heard... uh, I heard that Men's not that good. Oh, I was going to say that... uh, the director I was uh, working with this past week uh, really hyped it up because he loves uh, Ex Machina and Annihilation. Um, so he was like, "I did really like Annihilation too. I thought it was better than people said it was." Yeah, so, so um, I never saw it, and I didn't see it because I had heard it. It got bad. Re- like I'd heard it, it wasn't that good. It was reviewed poorly. So, but I was talking this director when I, I had mentioned that I I thought it uh, I hadn't seen it because I I heard it didn't do well. He was like, uh completely just tried to convince me to give it a chance and watch it all right well well we'll see you next week see ya